Hey guys, I'm Luther, and uh, welcome to week two of our toxic series. Um, Chris is getting a little bit of a short break for, the, for three weeks as we teach this toxic series. So last week, Dave Thompson spoke and did a great job talking about the enemies of the heart. Uh, so I hope you guys were a- able to be here and hear that. If not, go catch that online and, uh, and hear the first part of this series. Um, today, you're stuck with me, so I'll go on and apologize for that now. And then next week, Patrick Fowler is going to come out and talk, um, and, and, and he's going to be talking about um, anger. And so um, Chris will return on Easter Sunday, and so he'll be back with a vengeance, and we'll be starting the Bold series. And so if you're here this morning and you've seen a lot of Bold on stage, uh, as we get to the end of my message today, Pastor Chris has got a special, special message for us. That's hard to say, special message um, about Bold and where we're going. So today we are going to be talking about joy. Um, and, and the enemies that steal the joy from our lives. Um, Webster says, uh, I've got three different definitions for joy. The first, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. So that's related to our environment, what's going on around us. The emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one dreams. That too, based on everything that is around us. Um, and then the third one, a source or cause of delight. And I'll just be honest, this is my favorite definition of joy. Because for me, this is what joy looks like. The first two are based on everything going around my life, the happenings, which I define as happiness. Uh, But joy is this thing that comes from inside me. It's based on the hope that I have uh, about the things that are to come in my life. And and, and quite honestly, for eternity. I I need to let you know kind of where I frame this talk on joy at today. Uh, I'm a Christ follower. I love Jesus. I'm guessing you figured that out by the fact that I'm up here talking at a church. Like, we can just kind of get that assumption out of the way. Um, but because of that, um, that's, that, that's where my joy comes from. My relationship with him is the source and cause of delight in my life. Jesus is my joy. And so you need to know that as we talk about joy today, I believe that joy is a gift that God gives us when we start a relationship with him. And so, so as we kind of move through this talk, you, you're going to need to understand, I am not talking about your life. Your life's not going to be happy because you know God. You're not going to have more stuff. You're not going to be prettier or smaller or taller or faster. Having a relationship with Jesus doesn't give you any of those things. It just means that you have joy in the midst of your good days and your bad days. Um, and so that's kind of where we're going to go. Um, now, I just talked about the fact that joy comes because I have a relationship with Jesus. But I just need to be honest with you. I don't accept that all the time. And I'm guessing most of you do not accept that gift all the time. And so today we're going to talk about the enemies, the things that keep us from accepting that joy that God gives us. Uh, I believe that the two biggest things um, that steal the joy that God gives us are comparison and discontent. And I think they're tied together, I'm going to be honest. Because I compare myself to someone else, it creates discontent in my life. Um, And when I do that, it all of a sudden puts me in this place where I no longer accept this free gift of joy that I've received. And and I don't believe this is a new sin. Uh, I don't believe this is a new problem for us. I'm going to be honest. We're going to go in just a minute to the very first sin ever recorded in the Bible. And that sin was born out of comparison and discontent. Um, we're, we're going we're gonna to turn to our Bibles today. We're going to go to Genesis 3, 1 through 8. Um, if, you, if you have a Bible today, you can go there. If not, it's going to be up on the screens. You can also go to the, the, the Bible app, you know, uversion.com, or go to the live event uh, that you can follow on Uversion and follow my notes and everything. 
Uh, worst case, you can just read along with me. So, it says, the serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman, do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, do not eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. Knowing everything that God knows, being just like God. This sounds like we're comparing ourselves to God. We'll continue. When the woman saw the tree look good, looked like good eating and realized that what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. What a dumb man. Uh, immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on, saw themselves naked. They sewed fig trees together and made makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden. They hid from God. We went from comparing ourselves to God, wanting to have everything that God had, know everything that God knows, to now we feel like we need to hide from God. Um, there was this promise of being equal with God. And what happened is, is we find that Adam and Eve had everything. I mean, let's, talk, let's think about that. They were naked and unashamed. Like, that's a good life, right? Like, like, you got no stress in the world. You walk around naked and everybody's happy and you're not worried. You're not comparing yourself to anybody. Like, life was good. Like, I, I got to be honest. Like, one of my biggest complaints about what Adam and Eve did is we got to wear clothes. Like, I got texture issues. I don't like clothes. And so that's one of my biggest complaints about the fall. I don't even mind working for a living. Um, but I hate the naked thing. And so, and so maybe that's just me, sorry. Um, that's why God gave me four daughters, because if I had a house with boys, it'd probably be a naked house, and that would just be weird and creepy. So, um, so I don't get to do that. So, so Adam and Eve trade in perfection. No pain, no sickness, no work. Trade in all that. For what? They got to eat the one, the one thing God said they couldn't have. I mean, think about that. You have everything in the world except for one thing. Let's compare that to today. I'm the richest man on earth. I got everything except for what? One car? Do I trade everything in to get that one car? Do I trade everything in for that one spouse? Do I, I mean, it's just nuts. Discontent and comparison. Perfection wasn't enough. You know, they sounded a lot like, it's not fair. Why does God get to know everything? They compared themselves to God. You know, I mean, they sound like middle school girls to me. Um, what did it cost them? Let's look in Genesis 3, a couple verses down, verse 16 through 19. He told the woman, I'll multiply your pains in childbirth. You'll give birth to your babies in pain. You'll want to please your husband, but he'll lord it over you. He told the man... Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from, don't eat from this tree. The very ground is cursed because of you. Getting food from the ground will be as painful as having babies is for your wife. You'll be working in pain all your life long. The ground will spout thorns and weeds. You'll get your food the hard way, planting and tilling and harvesting, sweating in the fields from dawn to dusk, until you return to the ground itself, dead and buried." You started out as dirt, you'll end up as dirt. 
Quick summary there. We had perfection. Discontent in comparison to God led to them wanting the one thing they didn't have. And, and, and what's the cost from listening to Satan? Humankind and the very earth itself is cursed. The ground became cursed. Painful childbirth for women. Relationships between men and women are going to be difficult. Work. I mean, most of you would say that's enough. Um, and then sickness and death. Because when Adam and Eve were created, they had eternal bodies. And so the, the sickness that we experience and the death that we all deal with. I was at the funeral home yesterday uh, for a friend of mine. That death is a result of, of, of comparison and discontent and not accepting the joy that God gives us. I mean, I got to be honest. I would love to look down my nose at Adam and Eve and, and talk about how there's no way I would have done that. Like, like, I totally just would have accepted perfection. And, but the reality of it is, is I may have done it a day sooner or the same day or a day later because there's just something in us that just we can't accept what we have. We can't just be happy with this. It's, somehow it's in our nature, and, and Satan knows how to attack that, and he knows which things to just continue to drip on you day after day after day that steal the joy from your life. I mean, let's be honest. We want more. We want it now. We struggle to be content with what we have and what we, and, and, and what we do for a living and, and the people that we get to do life with. We are constantly bombarded with new and improved, better and faster, photoshopped images that, that we'll never look like, um, and, and we want to get ours while we can. Um, our culture, and not just our culture, I think our humanity is, is just based on this idea of never being content. And, and in some ways that's good, but, but I, I think when it comes to the joy that God gives us, this discontent that swells up inside us is, is what steals that from us. I mean, let's be honest, how could we be content? You, you, you pull up to your house or your apartment and you look and, and, and your neighbor has a brand new car and, and, and you got an old jalopy or he pulls up with a new motorcycle because he needs more toys or all of a sudden he's got a boat or an RV or, you know, you, the, the lady that you work with comes in with a new outfit every day and a matching purse and, and, and it just makes you feel frumpy and all of a sudden you think, ah, oh, I'm not nearly as pretty as her. Man, I've gained 10 pounds. Where's her 10 pounds? Or, you know, I just... Comparison. It's just comparison, comparison, comparison. And as we compare, we become more discontent and discontent and discontent with the things that God has given us. Discontent and comparison steal the joy from your life. Like they, If we talk about joy being a gift from God, that, that when you start a relationship with God that you're given freely, it costs you nothing... It, the moment the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, you have an endless supply of joy that you can tap into and, and receive. But Satan says continually, well, look what he's got. Look what she's got. Why don't you get that? You shouldn't be happy like that. Remember that last definition of joy we looked at. If we talk about gift, that joy is a gift from God, a source or cause of delight... If we look at joy as more of a source than less than, than an environment or the happenings going on around us, all of a sudden we realize that, that we have all the joy we need. God is delighted to know you. He paid a huge cost to have a relationship with you. Jesus, he sent Jesus to live a sinless life. He took on all of our sin and shame. He, pay, he accepted all the wrath of God on the cross for our choices um, he defeated sin and, and defeated Satan and death and rose three days later. That's enough. Like, that should be our source of delight. That should be our source of joy. 
in, in knowing that, that on good days and bad days and successes and failures and in sickness and in health, that all those things are temporary and, the, and that the gift that God gave us and the joy that we should be using as our source is eternal. And that no matter how bad our days are, that it's just temporary. This is, the Bible says that, that our life is just but a, on the timeline, just a little bitty dot, what we experience here. And so we can find hope in that and we can, and we can accept that joy. Let's look at some of the reasons that we struggle to choose joy. Uh, uh, one of my favorite kind of sto- people in the Bible is King David. Um, and, and we're going to take a real quick look through just one little part of David's life involving King Saul. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to read this and then we'll give a little background information. I, we are not going to dig deep into this, but I want you to see where discontent and comparison um, can destroy uh, the best of plans. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 9. And I'm going to read this in the message just because it's a nice, easy read. Whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it and did it well. So well that Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of all the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs, and lutes. We having a big old house party. We get, it's, it's, it's on. I don't know what a lute is. Sounds like we got instruments and parties and fun and women are screaming. And in prayful frolic, frolic, the women sang, Saul kills by the thousand, David kills by the ten thousand. Rut row. We can see what's coming here. This made Saul angry. Very angry. He took it as a personal insult. He said, they credit David with ten thousands and me only with thousands. Starts to sound kind of like Adam and Eve. That little whiny voice that I made earlier. Before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. From that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. A little background. God's people, the Jews, had a king and it was God. But because all the other kingdoms around them had earthly kings, men, they begged God for a king. And so God gave them Saul. And the Bible says that Saul was tall, dark, and handsome. I mean, when the Bible says you're good looking, you're probably good looking. Like, Saul was a head taller than everybody. I mean, he looked the part. He was a king. All of a sudden, David comes along. And David's this little snot-nosed kid, the youngest of a bunch of brothers that the, 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 the Jews were at war. And, and, and they left him at home. They didn't even think he was worth bringing. And all of a sudden, he shows up. And, you know, hopefully you know the story, but... David comes and sees that no one will fight this giant Goliath. And he's like, oh, man, God gives me all kinds of power. I've killed lions while being out by myself. And, 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 and I'll go fight him. And so he picks up the stone and the sling and kills Goliath. And all of a sudden, David becomes the first rock star in recorded history. That's, I know, it's corny, but it's funny. He's the first rock star. Ha, ah, see? <laughs> and Saul goes, hold on a minute. I'm the king. Everybody should be looking at me. God had chosen Saul and made him king. But he couldn't be content with someone else getting some credit. 
He had to compare himself to the newer, younger, faster, better model. I mean, let's think about this. Saul's the king of Israel. They've just defeated their enemies. The whole country's in a big party. Everybody's singing. And what, what, where does Saul go? He becomes the guy in the corner at the party who's mad. Everybody else has you know, got their groove on. You know, we got a house party going. There's music playing. Saul's over in the corner sulking. And, and, and this becomes what Saul does moving forward. This was the moment where Saul stopped receiving the gift of joy that God choosing you for a specific role made him the king of his people, stopped worshiping God, and started comparing himself to, the, to, to David. I want to look in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2, because I think this is a good explanation of what happened there. Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross." disregarding the shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside his throne. See, Saul took his eyes off of God, stopped worshiping God, and started comparing himself to David. See, God had given Saul a very specific race to run. Saul, you are to be the king of my chosen people. Don't worry about anything else going on. I protect my people. I bless my people as long as they do what I ask them to do. And, and instead of doing that, running God's race, running God's race, what happens? Anybody know? Does it ever go well when you're running and you look left or right instead of straight forward? Anyone ever ridden in the car with a new driver? I, I, I've got a daughter who's 19 now who drives and some of the scariest things of my life. Because here's what happens. They're driving down the road they see something, their head turns. Anybody know what happens to their hands? So where the head goes, the hands go, right? That's some scary smut. I, we live through it. She's doing okay now as a driver. A couple bumpers and some garage doors and stuff later. But, but, but it just never goes well, right? Running, driving, looking the wrong way. Um, anybody like to watch fails on YouTube other than me? Am I the only hateful person in the room? Yeah, I see some hands coming up. There's my peeps. Treadmill fails. You ever watch a treadmill fail? I was watching one yesterday. Dude running on the treadmill, doing great. Got a little speed. Girl walks by in some short shorts. Blam! He face plants, right? Like, like we've all seen that video. It's funny. Watched a video of a guy, I mean, had it on full incline, running full out. I mean, I'm thinking I couldn't run that fast if I had to. Slides off the back of it, steps off. One of his friends tries to run on and do the same thing. Ends up with body parts going everywhere and contorted and twisted and thrown off the back. You can't run somebody else's race. And you can't watch someone else while you're running your race. Comparison. Discontent. Not accepting the race that God has set before you. Saul could not see the blessings in his life because he was too busy comparing his accomplishments to David's. See, comparison is the killer of joy. It is the thief of the joy God has given you. It literally suffocates the peace in your life. If you're in a moment of peace right now and you have contentment 
I guarantee you that if you start watching what everyone else around you is doing and wanting what they have, Satan's hands will come around that peace that's in your life and choke, slowly just choke it out. And you'll find yourself bitter and angry and discontent. So, so, so what, do we, I mean, what do we do with that? I guess there's one thing I need you to hear this morning. You are exactly what God needs you to be. Just want that to sit for a second. You are exactly what God needs you to be. You're not the wrong size, wrong shape, color, nationality, intelligence. I mean, if God wanted you to be taller, you'd be taller. I've prayed and asked God to make me taller for years. God wanted you to be faster, you'd be faster. God wanted you to be a singer, your name would be Justin. You could pick Timberlake or Tucker, I don't care which. God wanted you to be a preacher, you'd be Chris Edmondson. You wouldn't even own a pair of shoes. God wanted you to be an athlete, you'd be LeBron James or Aaron Rodgers. Pick your favorite athlete. If he wanted you to be white, you'd be white. If he wanted you to be black, well, I'd be Samuel L. Jackson. That's just my choice. I think Samuel's cool. But I'd be Samuel L. Jackson if I got to be black. If he wanted you to be Latino, buenos dias. You'd be Latino, right? Like, but you're exactly what God needs you to be for the job he wants you to do and for the amount of joy that he's going to put in you. Stop complaining about the pieces you didn't get and find joy in knowing that you are his masterpiece. So what do we do? I mean, what's our, what's our action steps here? How do you know if Satan has done the same thing in your life that he did in Adam and Eve's or in Saul's? How do you know that little moments of comparison little moments of discontent have stolen your joy. Like, how do we pick up on that? A couple questions I'm gonna ask and, and, and see if these are things that are going on in your life quietly inside your head, hopefully not outside your head in your mouth. Um, then we all know that you don't have joy. Do you, celebrate, do you celebrate when other people succeed? Do you like when other people win? Are you jealous of your coworkers who got a promotion? Are you angry that someone made rank before you? Do you wish she would gain the 10 pounds too, or 20? Do you think, why do they have perfect friends, or bodies, or a spouse, or kids, or car, or house, or boat? Why do they, why don't I, begin to become symptoms that if, if, if those things are repeatedly coming through your mind, I can tell you, that somewhere you have, you, you have stopped accepting the joy that God's giving you and you're living a life full of discontent and comparison. You know, one of the, one of the biggest places I think this happens in our culture is, is on social media. You know, we look on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everybody's lives look perfect. Like, like I was working last week and they were in Florida. Ugh. You know, like I, I can't get my kids to keep both their shoes on and yet you got pictures posted in a field and everybody's dressed the same and no one's got snot on their noses and like, like their family looks perfect in that picture. And, and my kids are a disaster and you know, everything's dirty and everything in my house is filthy and, and we just, we continue to compare. And, and let's be honest, who puts their worst stuff on Facebook and Instagram? Like you, 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 like you take 40 pictures and you find two to post on Facebook. You don't post the ones where everything's wrong or on Instagram. 
You know, that, that there was the mirror in Snow White and the witch, and she would look at it every day, and she would say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And, and I think for us, we have turned that mirror, and, and our version of the mirror is, is our social media. I think we look and we say, mirror, mirror on Facebook, tell me how my life should look. Mirror, mirror on Instagram, tell me who I really am. Yeah, those are going to hurt a little. I'm just going to be honest. You might want to soak that in for a second. Someone may need some cream for that one. Um, and I'm just going to be honest. Like, I love social media. I've been on it this morning. You know, if I, if I was to say I've been on it occasionally, like, that would need to be in sarcasm fingers and font. You know, like, like I love social media. But, but, but I'm going to be honest with you right now. The day that I find myself jealous because of the things I see on your Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and that I begin to, to have this thing where, where, where I can't be happy for you anymore will be the day that every one of those accounts gets shut down. As, as I was preparing for this, um, I'm always not great about sharing details with my wife about dates and stuff. And, and, and our life has been hard the last month. I'm just going to be realized family issues, my parents are getting old and sick and, and we're trying to move them here and just a lot of moving pieces, a lot of stuff going on at work and I'm remodeling a building and like, like if my joy was simply placed in my surroundings and in my circumstance, like I would have no joy. Like this is probably as stressed as I've been in a very long time and we were riding down the road last Saturday and, and I was on the phone with, I don't know if it was Chris or Patrick and we were talking about this Sunday morning and I hang up the phone, and my wife looks at me, and she says, so it's all your fault. And I'm like, well, I mean, probably, but what are we talking about? And she was like, our life, it's all your fault. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, you married me. And she said, no, you're preaching next Sunday. Of course life's gotten hard. Because we've seen that over the years. That when we do, we, we take one couple a year and do premarital counseling, and that when we're walking through premarital counseling for like two months with a couple, like, the thing that we're going to be talking about that week is the thing we fight about. Like, that's just how that works. I know God has a sense of humor. Like, like the fact that I'm speaking about joy and that I'm telling you the enemies of joy are discontent and comparison are really funny because I finished this sermon Saturday morning, we'll call it Friday night, Saturday morning at 1 a.m. Do you know what I was doing at midnight? I was very discontent that I don't work for a church full time and I have to write my sermons after hours. That I didn't get to sit in Chris's office all day Tuesday and Wednesday and, and work on my sermon and listen to music. I was comparing my, as I'm writing a sermon about comparison and discontent, I was comparing the way I was writing the sermon to the way Chris would write the sermon and it was giving me discontent. And at 12 o'clock, I all of a sudden giggled. I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. Satan is stealing my joy as I'm talking about Satan stealing your joy with discontent and comparison. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm never going to be the communicator that Chris Edmondson is. It's the reason I do this four times a year and he does it 48 times a year, right? He's awesome. But you know what? God didn't call me to be Chris Edmondson. He called me to get up here and be me. But I, in my head, even this morning, I'm fighting that urge to think, oh, I can't be Chris this morning. Satan's stealing my joy as I'm talking to you about stealing my joy. Satan wants to destroy your life just like he destroyed Adam and Eve's. I, I, I want to read a verse, and I want you to think back to the passage 
that we talked about, uh, especially in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Um, in John 10, 10, G- these are Jesus' words. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. When we look back at the, at the Genesis passage, God had given Adam and Eve a rich and satisfying life. No pain, no hunger, no work. A rich and satisfying life. And the thief, being Satan, came along and at the end of their experience with him, he had stole their rich and satisfying life. They died. Adam and Eve were created to never die, and yet they experienced death. So he stole their very life. What happened when Saul compared himself to David? Did it turn out well? Face planted, right? If you, if you don't know the story, Saul becomes so enraged that he tries to kill David and he misses. He loses his kingdom. He loses his life. The man that God made the king of his chosen people. The man that God placed into a rich and satisfying life. Satan came along and stole it and destroyed it and killed him. And he wants to do the same thing in your life. Jesus came to bring us joy in the middle of our everyday lives. I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes we don't find joy in our good days, right? Because our good days still aren't as good as someone else's days. And we definitely don't want to experience that joy on bad days, right? I mean, I find that for for me sometimes, I I know that when times are hard, I, I climb right into the center of God's will and that's all I have to hold on to. But when things go well, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I got this. God, you go take care of him. Why don't you take... You know, I start comparing myself on the other way. Sometimes I start comparing myself and saying, well, my life's so good right now and I'm so close to you. I'm going to step over here and do my thing and God, won't you take care of them? And, and so for me, I find that I end up by comparing myself as feeling better than other people that I lose my joy. So I don't want you to think this comparison thing just works one way. Looking up or down, you got to run your race. You got to watch your path. You got to stay on your treadmill. I'm going to give you the shortest big idea in the history of one church. If you can't remember this big idea, we may need to talk. We may need to get you some counseling or something. My big idea today is choose joy. And you're thinking, well, that's just really simple. Like, that doesn't fix anything for me. Like, choose joy. See, a lot of times we, we talk about things from the stage and we talk about things going on in your life and, and we say, well, you need to read your Bible more every day because that's the only way you're going to get the knowledge to do the things that God wants you to do. Or we say, man, you've got to pray more because until you get closer to God and pray more, like, like we're telling you all these things you have to do to get to this place that God wants you to be. And, and the really cool part about today's talk is you have it. Everything you need to have joy, you have, you have joy. It's been given to you. The reality of it is, is that you're taking it out and setting it aside. You don't, I mean, you should read your Bible more. You should pray more. You should serve more. You should love more. Like, I'm going to agree with all those things. But to have joy, you have it. It's in you. It's there. And, 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 and because Jesus is the source of your joy... 
you should do the things that make him happy, right? Like, like if you're in a good marriage or in a good relationship, like, like my wife, one of her love languages is, is, is acts of service. And so if I go home and do a load of laundry or wash dishes late at night, it is not because I love doing laundry or I love washing dishes. It is because I love Rhonda Ramsey and I want her to love me. And so, just like in that relationship, if you want to please someone you love, you do the things they ask you to do. So let's talk about, I've got four steps to help you choose this joy. First, talked about it's a gift from God. So we, we just need to get something out of the way. If you don't know God, you miss definition three. You only get definition one and two. All your joy is based on your environment and on your surroundings. And so, so what I would ask you to do today is that if this, this idea of, of joy, the joy that God wants to give you, sounds like something you would like to have, then, then I would tell you, come see me after the service. Come find Chris or Patrick or one of us. Let us have that conversation with you. I don't want this to be a 15-second prayer. I don't want you to raise your hand for five seconds in a dark room. Like, we need to talk through this. I think this is the most important decision you will ever make. So I want you to have this joy, but I want to make sure when you get it, you've really got it. Like Dave said last week, you need to start celebrating others' successes. One of the quickest ways to stop comparing yourself and feeling discontent is to, is to find joy in the successes of other people, even the people you don't think deserve it. That guy who made rank before you, who's just an idiot, he's an idiot who made rank before you. Celebrate it. The, the person who has the things you want, you don't think they deserve it, celebrate it. Be used by God. Doers don't have as much time as watchers to become complainers. Y'all should have amen that or something. Doers don't have as much time as watchers to become complainers. Right? Preach it. You know, and, and some of you are going to say, well, I tried serving once and it just wasn't my thing. Well, I had a bad steak one time and I'm not a vegetarian. Right? Like, I've served in some areas that weren't my thing. I'm not working in babies this morning. I mean, I've done it before, and I figured out it wasn't my thing, so I went and found the right thing. I love God. God asked me to serve. I'm going to serve. That's a source of joy. Find, joy. find joy in knowing that God finds joy in you. You're not an accident. You're, you're not the thing that God created when he was finished. He looked over and went, ugh. That one doesn't pass the quality check. Like a perfect God made a perfect you for a perfect reason. Find joy in that. And, and know that when you find this joy that God's going to use you in big and amazing ways. When you stop complaining and you find contentment with what you have and where you are and the people that God's put in your life, you're going to find that the things that God puts in front of you are things you can do. And then I just want to finish with this. You need to know this. I am a terrible Chris Edmondson. I'm a terrible version of Patrick Fowler. I'm a terrible Dave Thompson because I've only got two tattoos. And I am not putting big things in my ears. I am a terrible Justin Tucker. I can't play guitar. I'm a terrible LeBron, LeBron James or any f favorite athlete you have. But it's not my job to compare myself to any of them. Because I am the best. Luther, Pennington, Ramsey, the third this world has ever seen. Amen. Choose joy.
Choose joy, choose joy, choose joy, and know that God chose you. Um, I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, lights are going to go down. Pastor Chris has got a special message for y'all about where our church is going um, for the next season of our life. And, and, and I know a lot of times some of us get out and run early and get kids, but I, I really need you guys to sit and soak this in. This is one of the most important things we're going to talk about in our church in a very long time. So I'm going to pray, and then if you guys will just settle in, go on and shake it out if you need to real quick. We've got just a few more minutes of this video, and then when the video's over, you are done. Go have a great week. Be the church. Love people. Dear God, I love you. God, I believe that you are big and that you are real, and we can hold true to every promise that you give us in your word. God, that, that your son Jesus spoke, as we just discussed, that you came to bring us an abundant life and to give us joy, and that, God, we just need to receive that gift. And so, God, I pray that as we leave here this week, that we would just soak in that joy. God, that we would stop comparing ourselves and, and, le and letting discontent make us hate what you made us to be, make us hate the lives that you've given us, and that God, as we accept your joy, will accept the path that you lay before us. Thank you, God, for being big, being real, and giving joy. In the sweet name of Jesus, I pray, amen.